Good morning. How is everyone? It's tough when your husband is the sound man because he has the uh, the ability to choose the that I can speak. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for illustrating that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being flexible with our uh, setup with the kids. It was actually really beautiful this morning. I felt like this was really lovely. Maybe we should do it more often. But then I was also equally exhausted to have, have my two down here. They were, they were beautifully singing. And then I saw like my two-year-old just shove the kid next to him. And I was like, <laughs> awesome. That's really good. That's my kid right there. Um, and so the message is on love today. So that's even more like, I was like, great, great. This is, I'm, I'm preaching to myself and you get the pleasure of overhearing because we are working on loving in our house. <laughs> um, how appropriate that Valentine's day is this week. And the topic this morning is love. Um, in the NIV, this like particular section of, um, that we're going through in First John, it's titled More on Love and Hatred, which I thought, okay, that is probably the broadest term that you could use to describe this. Um, but we have like a mi millions of books, songs, movies, all surrounded on these themes, love and hatred. And often they are very intricately woven together um, and very hard to separate because they have a connection and so I thought like, okay, great, more on love and hatred. That's fantastic. Um, also very broad and very difficult to like dive into, but John does particularly a really good job. And I think mostly because he is, he, he gives himself this name. Um, he is the, the man that Jesus loves. And I thought at first, that seems very arrogant, like that you would assume that, right? Like that is that you would give yourself that title. But I was thinking about it. I have a very dear friend who I would say is my best friend. Her name is also Sarah. So there's like slight confusion on that level. Um, but I would say that I am a woman that Sarah loves again. So sorry for the metaphor. It doesn't quite like pan out as well, but like, but I would be confident in that statement because I know the path that we have walked together. I know where we have been, all of our experiences, and I am confident, I know her, that if she were here today and she was sitting there, she would nod and say, that is accurate, that is correct. And so then I feel a bit more confident in John, where he says, I'm the one that Jesus loves, I'm the man that Jesus loves, and then also confident in his ability to talk about that love, and also confident to talk about the other side of that, the hatred, the destruction that is hatred. So if you'll turn with me today, we're going to start chapter 3 um, in 1 John, and we're going to start in verse 11. The passage should be up on the screen behind me. Thanks. That's beautiful. I love it when it works. Uh, so verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not, excuse me, anyone who does not love remains in death. 
Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I'm going to stop right there. We'll, we'll go all the way to verse 18. But I thought that it would be interesting to talk on this passage a little bit, maybe unpack it, because there is some pretty extreme language in it. Um, but I love that John starts off with, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. This is the premise. This is our foundation that we stand on, that we should love one another. It's not if we should, it is that we should love one another. This is what you've heard from the very beginning, from Genesis. This is what we should. This is the type of people that we are, that we should love each other. And to back that up, he goes to the very first story um, the very first murder, Cain and Abel are brothers. They are the sons of Adam and Eve. Um, and they have what appears to be quite a tumultuous relationship. Um, Abel is a man who looks after animals. He, takes, he has herds, flocks. That is his, um, his employment. Cain takes on agriculture. He um, is a farmer. He tends to the land. He grows things. So they have two very different um, things that are keeping them busy during the day. And in the very, like, two, two sentences, as I read through the account of them, there are about two sentences that describe what happened, and then the result of what happened is um, Cain taking Abel's life. But it says that they brought each their own um, offering to God to give to him. And Cain brought the fruit of his, of the, of his labor. The, um, it doesn't say what it is. It just says he brought, he brought um, things from the ground. And then it says Abel brought the firstborn of each of his flocks and that they were choice. He thought about it. So God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice and not with Cain. And there's the friction, right? There's the, the rub, which ultimately leads to Cain taking his brother out to the field and killing him with a rock. And we don't have a very clear reason as to why God was super happy with Abel's sacrifice and not with Cain's. We can assume, can assume things that... Abel brought things that were a real sacrifice. He brought really great animals to sacrifice to God. And Cain maybe just brought like things that he wasn't going to sell at the market or things that he had lying around. It was like, oh yeah, I grew that. It's been in the cellar. Here we go. We don't know that. We don't know that for sure. And ultimately, I don't think it really matters whether we know why God was pleased with one over the other. I think the, the sum of this story is that something was going on in Cain way before the sacrifice that would cause him to want to kill his brother. That there was a heart issue somewhere, that he was harboring something in his life. Because I have a younger brother, and I have had multiple times where I am extremely irritated, upset, frustrated with him. I love him dearly. But I've never been to the point where I want to take him out and chuck a rock at his head. It just is not 
not what our relationship is. So I think it speaks really highly of what is going on in Cain's life, that he, he would think this is a good solution. And it speaks to the destruction that is hatred, that John uses quite strong language that if you hold hate against someone else, that you're a murderer. Like that's very, that's very strong. But you look, at, you look at what Jesus said, he said the exact same thing. So it's not that, he's, that John is reaching a conclusion that Jesus didn't reach. But again, it's about the, the destruction that hatred causes us personally that it's not that you are severing a relationship with someone else, but that it's also causing so much destruction in your own life. That it's murdering a part of something that should be quite alive and quite vibrant. We should love one another. That love equals life. And hate equals destruction and death. These are the two, the two aspects that we are holding. And I think that that's really, it can be a really challenging thing in a church community, because I think we've all experienced throughout our lives that once you walk through a church door, you kind of like slap a smile on your face, and you're told to be nice, and that it is this nice thing that you are kind to the person sitting next to you. Um, we talk a lot about kindness in our house, and I'm actually thinking of flipping it to like, is this showing someone that you love them? Because I think that there is a, there is a lacking uh, concept when you say, oh, I'm nice, or that person's kind or nice. And in our city, we have, we have another aspect of it. It's not just to be nice, but to be tolerant, to coexist together. But even in that... I think you can harbor hatred in your heart for someone. Maybe your actions don't reflect it, but inside, it still allows for a bit of decay, and it could under, undergird your actions, where one day you're walking down the street, and the next day you've you know, thrown a, a, a rock at someone. I don't know. To go along with the, the metaphor that's going poorly, I get it. Um, but I think... Here, John is telling us something very different. It is not to, to be nice. It is not to be tolerant. It is to love each other, which is quite transformational, if you think about it. It's not, it's not that your actions are the summation of what we're looking for. It is that what is happening in you, how the gospel is working in you, is transforming you to love someone which also causes your actions to be different and to care for each other. We'll continue on. John talks about this. He says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his own life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them. How can we love, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The 
There are a couple lines in here that are challenging for me. From the first passage that I, I read, that if, you're, if you hate a brother or sister, that you're a murderer, and how can a murderer have any part of eternal life? That specific passage gave me a lot of heartburn this week, as well as, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, anyone that does not have pity on them, how can, love, how can the love of God be in that person? They seem really finalizing statements that like you either have it or you don't. I started thinking about the gospel and how the gospel is very, it is very in motion in people's lives that you don't just instantly, you aren't instantly transformed. You don't instantly become this amazingly capable person to follow the ways of Jesus, that it is this up and down hill you make wrong turns, you circle back, you get lost, you get discouraged, you find hope, you keep, you keep going, and is this ever constant motion that we are daily transformed and we take daily setbacks, but that we keep continuing forward, that the gospel is not done with us, that the power that the gospel has in our lives is not a one-time, one-and-done, and you move on. We are not complete we talk about how the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth, but it is still being transformed. Our world is still very broken, but it is being transformed daily. And in the same way, that is us. That is the way the gospel works in us. So therefore, these statements to me say, perhaps you are still harboring some hatred. The gospel's not done with you yet. Hatred and love have a really hard time coexisting, and yet there is a path forward for you. If you feel like you, you have a red flag and say, I'm, I'm holding some of this. This, is, this might be true of me. I can't, I can't hold both things at the same time, and sometimes the hatred overtakes the love. The gospel's not done. It is not at all a totalizing place where you, because you have done this, you don't have any part in the love that God has. That is not, not at all what the gospel is saying. It is saying, here's where you're at right now. Let's continue forward. Let's continue the, the movement forward. Let's, let's figure out what is happening in your heart. And let's let the, the love of God that he has shown us, because Jesus laid down his life, that we know what love is, that you will be transformed by that. So he talks, he talks about some really practical ways to love. And I kind of want to flip-flop it a little bit because the practical often means the action, right? The, it's easy to, to say, oh, I see a need, I'll fill that, but not have like the heart follow up. He talks about the attitude of love. Um, and I struggled a little bit, again, with this word he uses, pity. If anyone sees a brother and sister in need but doesn't feel pity in their heart. And I realized, as I looked it up, looked up the, the definition of pity, I've been using the word pity wrong. Pity to me has a, like a negative t- connotation, that like I'm looking down off of like my pedestal and looking down and saying, like, oh, poor you. That sucks. Sorry. Like, that's pity in my, in, in my mind. However, the definition of pity, so we're all on the same page, 
Pity is the feeling of sorrow and compassion caused by the suffering and misfortunes of others. So sorrow and compassion, together you feel those things which inspires you action. It inspires you to want to fill the gap. Sorrow and compassion, that is not a looking down upon, that is standing shoulder to shoulder with someone and saying, I've got this, I can give it to you. I see the need here, I want to help. The very beginning, the seeds of love, sorrow and compassion that there's a gap that needs to be filled. Now, we practically do love in a lot of ways in our community. It is why it is built into our gospel communities that one night a month, or however it looks like, each gospel community is very different, um, but that there is an aspect of serving people. There's an aspect of going out into the community and giving, filling a need, finding finding a spot that you can make relationships and that you can give of your time and your energy. Um, I know that one gospel community, and I didn't ask if I could share this, so I apologize in advance, but I know that one gospel community goes to the Union Gospel Mission and um, serves dinner. And I think that's a beautiful expression. There is a huge need in this city, a huge community that doesn't have food on a regular basis. So to go and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up my time, I'm going to serve, there are a lot of things that you could be doing on a particular night. But to say, this is important to me, I see this need, I see this gap, I'm going to step into it. That, that reflects something more than just the action, the feel-goodness, because that goes away pretty quickly. Um, you might also have not a really great experience at the Union Gospel Mission, depending on who you end up serving, but it's not because you are going for that feel-good experience. It's because you love this community who need food because they are created in the image of God, in the same image that you and I are created in. You see the gap in their life and you want to help fill it. So this concept of like more than just words, he talks, he talks about... Um, that we would love in, in our actions. Not with speech, but in our actions and for it to be true. Be true to who we are, that, that the actions behind, excuse me, the opposite, that the, the feelings and your uh, motives behind it are love and not just a surface action. There is a, uh, I saw several, <laughs> several memes um, in the last few months of people reposting things on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and then getting sort of a backlash of, so what, you're reposting a fantastic quote from Martin Luther King Jr. or from someone else saying really fantastic, valid things that we believe, but what are you doing in life to change that? To me, that is, so there's good words out there, great. We all believe that part. It's easy. That is the easy part. And maybe it's not as easy to post things like that in your community. But also, like, what are you following up? Where are the actions behind that? What are we doing in our lives to make that quote come to life? 
It's more than just talking about it. It's more than just getting together here and talking about the scripture. How does it translate into your life beyond these walls? And I get that. It's a big, huge starting point for some people. Like I, I also feel somewhat overwhelmed by how, how does one begin? Where does one start? You look at Jesus, the ultimate example of love. He gave his life. I don't know that we'll have many opportunities to actually give of our physical lives for someone. But I do know that we'll have opportunities to give up of our pride and our power and our privilege to do something that is maybe very much in, uh, acceptable in, in your community, but that you would step aside for the sake of someone else to love them well. I am a firm believer that you know what you're getting into when you come to Church of the City and to the gospel and to lay the cards out on the table that it, that it costs you something. The gospel will cost you something. If we're living it out the way that we should be and loving as we should, it will cost you something and it will be hard. It is not that this is a beautiful, like, save you from everything, every aspect of your life. You will wade through the thick of it. And at times you will feel sorrow and hardship, and it will hurt. And you will call out and say, why? Why is this? But it's also because that's what Jesus did for us, that he gave of his life. He walked the same road. He felt the same pain and the same sorrow And if we are following in his footsteps in the way that this community is going and the way that we want is that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And this is what it looks like. Now, the beauty of it is that the gospel looks very different in all of our lives. We are created very um, different from one another, and those differences are beautiful, and that the gospel translates to us very differently, which is great. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, here are the, th- the three things that you can do to start loving each other well, because that is fake and phony and it falls under the like nice category, right? But you will never get that from me, honestly. Um, but I am offering, if you, are, if you feel stuck, if you feel like you don't have um, any movement forward in this, I would love to buy you a cup of coffee and talk about how the gospel translates specifically to your life. And it will mostly be me asking questions because I want you to arrive on it on your own. I don't want you to ever feel like it's being dictated to you. The gospel is very much a personal um, motion through your life, that it will look differently for me than it does for you, and that is great. We don't fit into this cookie-cutter mold and that Jesus isn't asking us to be something that we're not. He's asking us to love each other. This is the foundation that this message is, is that we, from the very beginning, is that we should love each other. And this is how we know what love is, is that Jesus laid down his life for us. If I can ask you to stand, I'm going to close this in prayer. God, I am overwhelmed at your ability 
to love us so well, to know us so deeply, to care for us in the way that you do. God, I feel very inadequate to speak about love. As you know, we are human and we don't love well all the time, God. But I am so thankful that there is a path forward, God, that there is movement and there is hope for us, God, that you have opened up a way forward for us. I thank you for that. I thank you for this community who is seeking you, God, in different ways and different parts of life, God, but I am so thankful that they're here and are looking for you. I pray that you would meet us, God, where we are, just as you have promised, God. In your name, amen.